Hi, welcome to Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future, and our special mini-series, the BCI Distinguished Sales Leader Series. We're joined again by guests Joe DiDonato of Baker Communications Incorporated and Allison Duquette of Campus Logic. We're continuing our discussion on building a world-class sales team, a critical function for most organizations. Last time, Allison gave examples of hard costs of not taking an objective look at your team and the ROI when you do. Allison, let's jump in where we left off. What groundwork helped your team's assessment process? Make sure that you've got clear role definitions for your team members because every sales job isn't the same as every sales job. If you've got hunter roles, that may be a different profile than somebody that's more of a relationship builder. They're going to keep going back. They're going to get the renewal done. They're going to add small cross sales. But the skill set there on building that relationship isn't potentially what you want in the hunter because you want to get that deal and you want that person to keep moving. And so one of the things this caused us to do was go back and re-examine, did we have the roles specified in a granular enough manner? And then in the assessment, were we making sure that we were assessing on those very specific skills for the different types of roles? So when we got the results back, the results were going to be relevant for the role. You'll see even industry differences. Uh, There's some selling methodologies out there. There's a lot of them. One of them causes you to always challenge customer. That works in a lot of cases, but there are certain groups of people that you sell to where that would be just a closed door in your face. I mean, it's financial people or it's more black and white technical people where it's more black and white They don't like to be challenged like that. So I think the cut between the job role and the industry that you're working in are are two very important things. And the better we can predefine all that, if you can have that backdrop to your assessment, then that just really helps us. So where I started to learn that there was some real possibilities is when we started doing some profiling early on uh, when I was uh, running Oracle's education. I was on a plane ride coming back. We decided to do some things for the kids in the inner cities. There was this professor from the University of Minnesota saying the teachers in the inner cities are very different than the teachers that teach in the suburbs. We'll give you one example. If you're having trouble with kids in the inner city, is it better to talk with the person individually or to put that person together with their family and their support groups? Most teachers will say family, it's the influence, right? But in the inner city, a lot of the families are broken. So it's a single parent kind of situation. The most successful ones dealt with the kids directly. So that's the kind of sensitivity you have in the industry look at things. The job roles, I mean, imagine the difference between selling a telephone plan to you versus a whole enterprise who needs to convert onto something. They're all different roles. There's 65 roles in the sales organization that you have to look at. So that refinement helps to make these things very successful. In the process then, if I were the VP of sales and I said, hey, Joe, I want to do this as a hiring assessment, I would then work with you to tailor the data to match my industry, my geography, maybe the type of role, hunter versus cultivator. Exactly. We always recommend you start with the tailored fit first. That's the mini version of this big rollout. 
It's the top three, the bottom three performers, and then we we show you the differences. It costs us maybe three to four thousand dollars to do it, but we're so comfortable that after you see it, you'll have the aha. I knew it, <laughs> kind of a, a sensation that you'll you'll go the rest of the way and do it. And then we start focusing on, okay, how do we do it successfully in the organization? How do we really help every single individual seller get better? How do we help all the sales managers get better at their jobs? The ideal situation for us is that transition occurs and we're able to step out and we say, wow, good luck, uh, go on to world performance. I mean, it's the difference between finishing second so many times and then starting to finish first. When you get the right people in the job, I've said this before, and it just was back in 2018 where I just happened to look at the difference between the top golf professionals and the average golf professionals, not the worst ones, the average. The top 2% of golfers, they were different from the average golfers by less than two strokes, 1.9 strokes. But the difference in salary was astronomical, $6 million dollars. That was the average difference between being an average pro golfer and, and a superstar. That's more first place wins. That's what we want to see from the sales teams. They got to be able to take first and not be second so many times. And that's what we love to see in our customers where they understand that and their, their managers can coach to that and their executives appreciate it. Allison, can you tell me a little bit about what your journey looked like? Sure. I think the first step for us was to decide where the bigger priority was. We had an existing team of sellers, and then we were scaling rapidly, and we knew we would be hiring. I didn't want to do those things concurrently, so we thought our best value and sort of fastest path to success would be to start with the new hire assessment. So we did the tailored fit to kind of validate that these were the types of assessments that we could use. We implemented it. I started sending the link out the day that we signed the contract. Then the next step was to get all of our sales managers and our people ops team trained on what those reports meant. So how to look at the dashboard that you get, how to read the reports to inform your interview. The reports will actually say, in the interview, ask these types of questions. So we went through a few hours of professional development, myself, my sales managers, and our recruiting team to make sure that we understood both the results of the interview as well as understood how to position why we were doing the assessment. So we wanted to make sure that it didn't become a barrier to candidates pursuing the role. So we positioned it as this is a way for us to get a mutual understanding of whether this is a good role for you and whether we're a good fit for your skill set and your interest. And so we did not find it was a barrier to people wanting to continue. It does, however, give you a little bit of an insight into the candidate's enthusiasm for your role and how long it takes for them to actually do the assessment. So if it's somebody that's really excited, they'll do the assessment immediately. If it's somebody that's kind of, I'm not really looking, it may be days before you see that come in. That's also just a good barometer for me about whether or not somebody's really passionate about becoming a part of Campus Logic. It was fairly easy to implement the pre-hire assessment. Getting people ops involved in it was really crucial. I wanted the recruiter to be able to position it, as I said, as a way to get that mutual understanding of their fit for the organization. 
And I wanted the recruiter to also be able to look at the assessment and start recalibrating on how they were sourcing candidates. Originally, nobody was getting through the assessment and that was dismaying. And it caused everybody to kind of have a panic attack there to say, wait a minute, but we made the right choice here. But when we started then recalibrating on how we were sourcing the candidates, what we were asking in the screening questions in that very first screen, then we started seeing the typical results, which is still 70% of the folks that you talk to in initial screen will not make it through the assessment. The higher assessment was pretty fast and that got great buy-in too from people ops and my sales managers so that when we did it for our internal team, we were far more situationally fluent on why we were doing this, how we were going to incorporate this into our individual growth plans, how this was really part of the investment that we make in everybody being able to be successful here. And that involved more professional development for the sales managers and for myself. And then BCI did a great overview for our sales team because it is emotional when you make your living being a seller and you get a report that says, hey, you've got some red and yellow dots on this report. You don't want them to react in a really negative way and become defensive. So BCI does a nice job of setting the context in how they're going to be able to incorporate this into their own thinking. We didn't have really any blowback after people got the reports and had a chance to look at it. So I heard several things that seemed really important. One, we started with candidates and demonstrated the efficacies from an internal side, getting your people officer involved and showing your sales team and sales managers that this thing worked. This is actually a good tool and tying it into their development plans, not their performance appraisal. So your performance appraisal is what you've done. This is an additional tool that helps me figure out how to get better. And then the work that BCI did to ensure that people understood how to respond to the report, also from a change management perspective, because if I think I'm a rock star and I get some reds, I'm just programmed to think the tool's bad, not me. And so we'll have some percentage of the team who says, my competitive nature is going to kick in and I'm going to go conquer those reds like I conquer everything, my high motivated people. Some others are going to take this personally and say, I'm good, the tool's bad, and let me spend all my time telling you why that thing doesn't work, rather than spending the equal amount of time focusing on where I can get better. Very true. And that's important information for the sales manager to consider as they're looking at what their investment in their team is going to be. Part of what the assessment actually tests is coachability. It's important to be coachable so that you can continue to grow. And for the folks that said, hey, it's the assessment, not me. That's not really just an issue about the assessment. That's about are you ever going to be able to integrate any kind of coaching into your work? And if you can't, then you're probably not destined for success here anyway. Well, and for anyone who's not coachable, we, we now talk a lot about growth mindset and those things that in, in a world that is changing rapidly, if you're not willing to be coached and grow, you might consider retiring. Definitely. Salespeople can often be resistant to professional development. Most of us have been through what feels like an infinite number of sales methodologies and it all seems very redundant. So as I said, the feedback from our team has been very positive that we're now honing in on things that they're able to apply immediately. 
and we're, we're able to compress it, right? Because you're not just trying to kind of holistically train everybody on everything. We can say, oh, we've got a, an issue here that we want to deal with on the team of self-limiting beliefs, or we've got an issue here on the team of doing a better job of qualifying. Let's do compressed professional development sessions that are very targeted, pretty hands-on, pretty workshop about those specific skills. So Joe, then from the BCI side, can you walk us through the process? Yes, it's, it's basically we, we want to prove it to you first. So that's the, the whole purpose of putting together that tailored fit, top three, bottom three, and actually doing a, an overview that says, look, it's these skills that are making these top players so good. And it's these same skills that are hurting these bottom players. If they're trainable, that's fine. You know, I think we have an old saying in the world of education and learning that you can train skills, but you can't necessarily train attributes. You can't teach a bank teller, to be honest, for instance. I mean, that's got to be something they come with. The coaching side of this is going to give you some really great clues on whether a person is coachable, whether they're open to change, whether they're even motivated. People are amazed to find out that one of their best sellers is all of a sudden came out as not really motivated. But things happen in life. We have personal things that interfere with our lives, and, and sometimes those things can hurt. So you have to just make a decision as manager, whether that's a temporary situation, give them some room to, to grow, or whether it's going to have a permanent impact on them. So Again, the hardest thing that I think we face is to make the people look at it as this is no different than a health checkup. What you're going to find out of this is that, you know, we can prescribe things to you that'll help you. And it's getting the people in the right seats on the bus. There's a difference between a hunter and an account. Maybe they're just in the wrong side of the sales role, and this will help you put them in the right one. So there's lots of fixes in addition to training them on skills. But I can't think of a better way of lining up a uh, individual training or coaching plan than to go through the assessment. So we focus on that and we focus on the change management aspect and making sure that it's positioned right when you talk to your people. To us, it makes no sense not to run your business with data now that we have it, especially in a time of diversity and inclusion. This is a great way to take all those other aspects out of it and just focus on the person as an individual. What are their strengths and weaknesses? Can we help this person get better? And if we come at it from that perspective, and more like the annual health checkup, instead of coming at it as, hey, I think half of my people should be fired, that's not going to be successful at all. You know, on the change management side, it seems like in some ways, giving people information, especially a health check kind of orientation, is a demonstration of care. That you are most successful in life if you're in a role where you fit. I agree when someone gets a low score, the the goal isn't throw them out the door and then run them over with a bus. This isn't Mad Max scenes. If I genuinely care about the people I've hired, even if they're a wrong fit for the role, Joe, as you said, there are often different roles. How do we find the right role? How do we help you shift over to that role? Because people also don't want to be on a team with folks who are in the wrong seats. I'm then picking up your job. You're picking up my stuff. How we do that change management piece I think makes a big statement about who we are as leaders of the company. And again, it sounds like BCI is really effective at helping organizations 
not only identify, but then pull them through into right seat in a way that is compassionate and caring and matches the culture of the organization. It's just having that empathy when you go into it and understanding that you are going to meet all kinds of pushback from the incumbents. And that's so much on the front end. Uh, when you're new hires, uh, they're kind of used to taking tests. You know, another successful way of doing it is maybe take one of your best sellers. Tell them what you're really up to is to help them find gaps in their in their portfolio of skills and help them get to the next level. Have that person take the test and then become the evangelist for the test throughout the organization. That sometimes helps. The nice thing is we're usually working at the level of Allison, who is very skilled at doing things on a change management front. We don't have to do as much convincing that this is something important to consider. Second nature to a CRO or VP of sales. They just know to implement any kind of change, whether it's technology coming in. We have a lot of things that are artificial intelligence entering the sales world now. You just can't throw those tools over the transom and help them understand that. And unfortunately, we've worked with some really talented people on the customer side, and they help us with the change management. We learn as much from our customers as they do from us. Yeah, I want to give an example of someone I worked with, slightly different arena, but in that bucket of when I first started working with this gentleman, he said, you know, kind of the old dog new tricks, I can't learn things, to which my response was, how's your retirement plan coming? (laughs) I realize that's not the most compassionate response, but it was a truthful response. Your organization isn't going to keep you if you're not meeting the mark now and you don't plan to retire for a decade. So let's revisit that we know brains actually do continue to grow and develop in our 50s and 60s. So by the time we got done with the coaching, he had gotten promoted to levels that often this data gives us the information that that feels bad. And that's an appropriate human response and probably an appropriate response to say, I don't want to work here anymore. That as coaches and leaders, we help people navigate through that emotional, I'm not sure I can make it, which was, I think, really what he was saying is, "I, I don't know that I want to work that hard and I don't know that I can. Once we got through that process, he's been brilliant at stepping into his new roles. It is true that if I want to work a decade longer, I need to be willing to change. And with the right leadership and the right assessments, I'll be able to target where I need to make those revisions and be as brilliant as this person was. We run into him now in the community and he's doing a fabulous job. As a coach, I couldn't ask for more. And I'm assuming, Joe, that you hear stories like that often yeah, I got the data and it felt kind of bad. Over time, it allowed me to up my game dramatically. Yeah, it actually happened to one of our senior executives that was the person that had that strong reaction. What do you mean I'm not good at partnering with people? It was obvious to everybody else that that wasn't something that he was good at. He was great at other things, relationship building, trust, becoming a trusted advisor with existing clients and so forth. But partnering with someone who was not a direct customer was a real issue. You know, he learned from that and he became great at it. And it was just showing somebody that they have a blind side and somebody very senior, it's it's even harder to do that. Since that point on, partners now become very crucial to us in dealing with accounts. 
it's been really good for us. I, I think we finally got people in the right seats now. It's showing up in our numbers. We just got nominated and, and selected for one of the 50 fastest growing companies in 2021. Our first quarter sales almost equaled the prior two years sales. I mean, it's just terrific what we've been able to do. And it, I think once they see that we're really and sincerely trying to help them and their teams be better, it just becomes a no-brainer. The stuff that Allison is seeing, everybody's seeing, you know, geez, the time to competency for all my new hires is, is shorter. You know, I'm not making the same mistakes. My turnover is cutting down significantly. I mean, can you imagine living with a 35% turnover rate in any organization? It's not a way to, to live. I mean, the stress levels are, are very high and you're not doing the right thing for your customers. So I think it's showing up for us and we hope the rest of the sales training organizations see it as well. It should be about transforming a sales organization and we, we hope they start to look at these data tools that are out there. There's a lot of sound research that's available to us. Why not use it? Why would you ever take away the diagnostic tools from a physician? I mean, they'd be lost in today's age. And, and in fact, you would be doubtful and you'd probably get four or five different opinions before you did anything. But now we can hone in on what's wrong with a salesperson, their manager, or even a senior executive and help them fix those problems. I'll throw in one other thing there. The other benefit that I've seen with this, it's actually brought the team together in a way that I wasn't expected because we've had empirical data where we could say, this person on the team is really great at this, and this person is really great at this. Some peer-to-peer -peer coaching opportunities have occurred where a team member that's still younger in their career and needs some additional assistance there, instead of just going to their manager, they're building relationships across the team. And they're saying, I'm going to reach out to Bill, or I'm going to reach out to Toby. They're really good at doing an ROI. They feel comfortable talking about money. They're good at handling objections. And so in a remote world, you know, and salespeople are often remote and it's hard to build those personal connections across the organization. And you tend to feel like you're just kind of floating out there on your own. I've loved what I've seen in terms of the team using each other as resources and that's helping extend our sales management bandwidth. And it's also creating some bench strength for the people that have become some of those go-to resources. Now I'm looking at, here's my next group of potential sales managers because they're already doing it in this informal way. And I love listening to stories where a young rep will say, well, I was hurt because the assessments that I'm not good at this, but I talked to these three people and they've given me these great tips and now we've got a monthly call set up. And so I think it's created more esprit de corps as an unexpected benefit of this particular methodology. Yeah, we've even seen the same thing here. You know, we implemented Teams for Microsoft, and it's constantly loaded with, hey, who's got a good example of a proposal in this industry or something like that? And what can I do about this? So there's this feeling of you're not going to be criticized. It's open to asking questions. You're going to get good responses from everybody. I think, I think that was an unexpected plus for us even. We love that fact that they're collaborating a lot more internally. So all good. As we wrap up, Joe, can you let our listeners know if they heard something that they're interested in having a conversation with BCI, what would be their next step for reaching out? 
They can simply go to our homepage, uh, bcicorp.com, and you'll see Tailored Fit sitting down in the center of the page, and you can click on that. We'll take you down through that process if you still have some questions about it. If you'd like to learn some more, you can fill out the form, and one of our sales consultants will talk you through it and call you. But I strongly recommend you go through the free one first, that Tailored Fit. I want you to see for yourself the value of it. It's been a great investment for us to do it for free for the customers because as soon as they see what they get from it, they go, oh, my gosh, why weren't we doing this before? Then they become evangelists along with us of of changing the way we do training in the world of sales. No more spreading the peanut butter, if you will. And let's give them this, this, and this concept, whether they need it or not, one size fits all. Let's really hone in on, on becoming more individualized with our training so forth. So just come to our homepage, bcicorp.com. From there, it's a journey that we'll take with you. You also have a lot of information and you're writing for Forbes. Where would people find more data before they talk to a person? Well, we do a lot of blog posts. I, I spend my time there more so than on the Forbes platform. We've taken each of the 21 competencies that we've done for the sellers And I've tried to take it down a notch to explain what's there without giving away the test, of course. But when we talk about things like the will to sell, taking responsibility and your outlook and your personal buying cycles and things like that, I think some of those need to be just dealt with at a little bit more depth because they don't all of a sudden just click in your head. And so that's what I've been trying to do there. So if you go to our resources on our site and click on the blogs, you'll see that the last, I think I'm up to 18 now, the last 18 of the posts have been about the competencies that we uh, assess people. Great. Thank you. And Allison, do you have any wrap-up comments? The one thing I would say is when you when you start doing it and you see the assessments come in, do not talk yourself out of the results. Do not look at somebody where it says not recommended and talk yourself in to why that person's going to be successful in your organization. Because I'll promise you probably in 99 cases out of 100, you are going to be letting them go in less than six months. And so that was, it was a hard transition for us to make, but it's been the right one. Thank you. So just to reiterate, bcicorp.com. That's correct. Thank you very much, both Joe and Allison, for sharing your wisdom today. Thank you for inviting us, Maureen. You've been listening to the BCI Distinguished Sales Leader Series on Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future. Please join us again. Next, Joe and I talked to Don Mastro of AVI Systems about what he did to get his team through the pandemic and boost sales at the same time. I'm Maureen Metcalf. Thank you for joining us. Thank you.